1: Welcome to this week's edition of Next Steps Forward. I'm your host, Chris Meek. As always, it's great to have you with us again. I'm looking forward to another great show with today's guest, Maria McCool. Maria is the co-owner of Callista Salon & Spa, founder of the multi-million dollar business, Callista Tools, and author of Becoming Beauty Brave, The Bold Makeover That Will Change Your Life. She's also a famous face to anyone who turns in to the QVC channel, where she's been a regular for the past 13 years. Maria, welcome to Next Steps Forward.
2: Thank you. I'm so glad to be here.
1: No, it's great to have you today. appreciate your time. So, Maria, let's start at the start. You were okay. the youngest of seven children. How did that shape the person that you are today?
2: Uh, well, I have to say completely shaped who I am today. I mean, I definitely think that um, I'm very independent, uh, congenial. Um, I, I always like to say because five of those older siblings were boys. So that's where I think my strength and tenacity came from. I mean, you kind of, if you wanted to eat, like everything was fair game, right? So you just had to go for it. So um, I think that that was a, to me, that's probably completely shaped who I am.
1: So at that point, you sort of had a fight for your supper, no pun intended.
2: And seriously, with boys, they're just like, I know now that I have my own boys, I mean, they just, you wanted food; you needed to get it.
1: Darwinism at its finest and purest form, I guess. <laughs>
2: exactly. So
1: now, take us back to your roots in the beauty and wellness business in 1989, mm-hmm. long before the launch of Clista Tools. What drew you to the salon and spa business, and where and how did it all start?
2: You know, it's funny because I know I tell the story a lot, but you know, it all started in my parents' basement, where I was cutting every single doll's hair that I owned. Always, I just had this drawl to it for some reason and when i was 12 i perm and cut my best friend's hair when we were 12 years old we were going to our first girl boy party and she actually needed some cheering up and i said well let's let's give you a whole new look you'll love it and you'll be so happy and you'll want to go and we walked up to the corner store bought the tony perm and the whole thing and hidden her third floor bathroom because i don't know what her mom would have thought if i was like taking scissors at 12 to her hair it, But the good part is, she's actually still my best friend, but her hair looks great. And she, when we went to that party, she was like the bell of the party. And I then saw, like, I guess I felt that it was a gift that I was given that I could really raise somebody's confidence, make them feel more brave about themselves, um, you know, uh, love what, who they were themselves, right? So, um, that really honestly was the start of it all. I enrolled myself in beauty school two years later when I was in high school, wow. I was 15 years old, which is a story into itself because, um, my dad had to, he brought my dolls to the school. Cause I was a, I was a straight A student and they didn't like the fact that I was going to throw my life away to become a hairdresser. That was their words. And he literally, I saw my parents one day coming in school and he had my dolls and he was just like, listen, this is what she loves to do. We'd like to see her go to college too, but not if that's not what she wants. So luckily they allowed me to, and I became a licensed stylist before I graduated. And I mean, then opened the business a couple years later and it's all history.
1: <laughs> but at 15 years old, that's incredible. I mean, I was, I think, stocking shelves at a grocery store and had a paper route at 15. And actually- you are developing your career.
2: You know, and i was um I did when I was in so I permed her hair when I was twelve, right by the time I was fourteen enrolled well thirteen enrolled myself in beauty school for the next year, and then I got a job in a salon um shampooing, and so like it just was like um i don't know I just, just i don't know why I knew so clearly what I wanted to do, and I've loved it ever since i mean there's meant years to be later, I love this business. That's terrific. Yeah.
1: A guest who was on an earlier episode of Next Steps Forward talked about the role of the barber in Black communities, that the barber is, in many cases, the neighborhood therapist. Did you find yourself in the same role as you did your client's hair?
2: I Yeah, I definitely did. I actually think it was one of something that did add to my success because obviously I trained and became a very good styl- stylist, was very diligent about that. But I don't know if it's from being in that big family of nine and just, getting along with so many people. And I I actually think I also um, have a flair for like assessing problems and coming up with solutions. And um, my clients actually, I just had a text literally that I got this morning. The client I did yesterday was just like, thanks so much. I love my hair, but thanks so much for the advice. It's really going to go far. So yeah, there's something about, you know, I'm a good listener, I think. And And, you know, hearing what they say and I'm able to kind of, yeah, I'm definitely, definitely their therapist. And I will say one thing, Chris, one thing that I learned a long time ago was that, um, or I read it somewhere that we are one of the professions besides your doctor, right? That we're actually allowed to touch our clients. There's not very many professionals that are allowed to touch their clients, It's us doctors and massage therapists, I think, right? Nurses. And I think that's when you go back to that black barber, like the confidence that somebody gets or the trust maybe that they get in us because we're actually touching them is what makes them open up so quickly to us. Um, It's kind of a really, I've noticed it's a very interesting thing. There's really something about the human touch, right?
1: Yeah, no question. So I'll pose the same question to you that I posed regarding the the black barber. So I asked the question, who's the barber's barber? So who's the stylist stylist? Who, Who do you get to talk to?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, for me, actually, I mean, my best friends, since I have two best friends since first grade and a lot of great friends and, you know, women really help empower women. So I get a lot from them, my family, of course, now my kid's. I learned more from my kids than I think I've ever taught them. So that's pretty awesome at this point, but I have always worked with a coach. Um, I was able to get my first executive coach when I was probably maybe late twenties. Uh, Cause I'd already had the business for, you know, since I was 23. So um, I worked with an executive coach. And then to this day I have a coach. I work with um, Debbie Byrne who is a life coach that I work with. And I think, I always felt that was the case. Like I was my employee's uh, mentor or boss or whatever, but I never had anybody to check in with me and kind of check and balance what I was doing. And that's why I I thought working with a coach was one of the best things I ever did and still do it today.
1: So after years of hearing complaints from clients who wanted to have the salon experience at home, you decided to create that experience for them and grew from a salon to a brand with hair products and hair tools. Yeah. that's obviously a huge leap. How'd you lay out that plan? And what were those early days like?
2: Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because it was kind of typical more to have a salon and then open another one and open another one. If you wanted to grow a bigger business than just your own salon. You know, obviously I was a stylist and then one of my own salon. And then instead of going that route Um, and how it really did happen was, Um, I was concocting some products. I was doing some things for what I needed for my clients. So there's my first product I ever made was a styling product that you use on dry hair that in the industry, really there weren't ones that I liked. And so I kind of just concocted my own things. I was using it on clients. And a lot of my clients, because QVC is near our area, were QVC clients. And one was a host that said to me, You really, that stuff you keep putting on me every time I come here, like, I need it. And I was, like, putting it in a little bowl for her. I'm like, good, you take it, you know. And then she was late. And she came back the next time. She was like, why don't you, like, bottle this and bring it to Q? Like, our customers would love this stuff. And I'm like, really? And so I talked to my partner, and that's exactly what we did. And, you know, that whole thing about having, you know, the five older brothers and having to, like, go for it, like, That served me really well because I took that up as, like, okay, I'll go for it. And, you know, luckily I'd been in the business a long time, and my partners and I worked with other beauty brands. So I I had connections in the manufacturing world and, you know, different chemists that I knew. And so we started to work on the product. And like I said, 13 years later, I don't even know how many products, I don't even know how many products later, um, we're still doing it. And it really all comes from problem solving. It starts from problem solving. I can have any product in the industry. I, I'm, a, you know, I can get any product. But when there's a white space and my clients need something, and in that case, they needed a product that was lighter, that wasn't like all the other pastes that were so heavy and weighed hair down. Like, whenever there was a white space, now and it's the same way today. Like, I just make
0: it.
1: Well, let's stay there for a minute and talking about you mentioned how you would concoct a product. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Were you an A plus student chemistry? How would you know what to add, subtract? I wouldn't even know where to start, but I obviously have, you know, my hair challenged, I guess you could say, or follicly challenged. Uh, So there's not much product for me. How'd you get that natural
2: talent? Yeah. So, so the good news was early on in my career, I was a competitive stylist. I first, you know, I was a, I was also an athlete, you know, and so I was, I'm very competitive. So, um, as a competitive stylist, when you start winning a lot, the brands, like, Aveda, like different brands, they start to take you on as their educators. And so I had been working with, and my partner had done the same thing. He's, he, is, he was my boss, so he's a senior to me, and he had gone through that same um, kind of where you're working with brands and you're a part of development. So we were a test salon, and we did a lot of develop, helping them with developing products like they tested in our salon. So I had some experience with ingredients and what, you know, what worked, what didn't work. And my first product, which is Embellish, um, I knew what was working and not working in those products. And I knew what I needed to do to light it up and do what I wanted to get. So I just talked to the chemist about it. Sometimes when I'm creating products, sometimes I don't know. I I, know science was never my forte in all my (laughs) subjects. So I should quantify that. But What I do know is, like, I can say, like, why is it laying the hair down flat? Like, why, when you put this on after an hour, it's heavy. What can we do to that formula to lighten that up? And then they, the chemists will tell me, like, you know what, it's the X and X product in it. That will do that. Possibly if I do this, we can do that. Or maybe if we add cream to it or blah, blah, blah. So we kind of talk through it um, that way. So I don't have to have the knowledge they have. I always like, you know, I think the best part about, being successful in business is surrounding yourself by the right people. Right. But, you know, cause you can't know everything. And, and if you have people that are way smarter than you <laughs> around you, it's a good thing. So, and let, yeah.
1: And let's stay there for a minute. There You talk about surrounding yourself with the best people. You know, you mentioned the woman from QVC, the executive who seemed to be your champion to get you started. Yeah. Did you face any other skepticisms? You know, you mentioned you knew some people in distribution and chemistry. Yeah. What were some of the roadblocks you may have faced?
2: You know, there were a lot of roadblocks. And I think sometimes um, I don't know if all our roadblocks are really there or we make them right. So, but I do know with Q at the time they were really beginning to blow their beauty business up, right. They were known for electronics and jewelry and you know, whatever. Um, So they were really starting to blow the beauty business up, but it really seemed that if you, Like they were very interested in the celebrity stylists and the people that had big followings or, you know, just more notoriety than I had. And so that it did take a lot of tenacity, even the director of beauty, when I finally first got my first TSV, which I don't think anybody there thought I'd ever make it to that point he did bring me into the office first time I'd ever been in his office and just said, I, you know, I'm going to applaud you for your tenacity. Like you've just really hung in there here, no matter what anybody was telling you and just kept doing it. So that for sure there were, and there were a lot of times where I wanted to quit, believe me. Uh, and I, those are very, um, there are moments stuck in my brain The times where I just wanted to sell the business, like not be a salon owner not be on QVC and like the talk that I had to do to myself to like, you know, move
0: on.
1: It's one thing to bottle shampoos and sell them, but it seems like such an unusual and certainly a much more challenging route to become a brand featuring hair tools. Mm. Did you work with other companies or inventors to develop the tools? And how'd you go about bringing that part of the business to life?
2: Yeah. So you know, the tools, again, it was problem solution. Like what was the first tool, you know, the big tool, the Perfector, which we've sold over a couple of million of those at this point, um, you know, clients were burning themselves. They were, um, you know, their hair was not, you know, it was burning their hair, basically like so much damage. And so again, it was kind of like, there's got to be a better way than this, you know, like. And a lot of times I just scout products. Like I'm always at our shows and I'll be scouting things. And sometimes I'll see things that, that like, I'm like, that's a good point. It's a shame. It's not this, that, and this, you know, like if we change this, you know, so it kind of is the same way that I do products, but it is a very much, it's so much more costly. So there's a lot more risk when you start going down the tools route, because There's ETL, there's URL, a lot of things you have to do. So you're putting a lot of money out front for something you're, you know, it's a bet, right. That you're betting on whether or not, you know, unfortunately it's a big loss if you're, if you don't have success with it. So, um, but I think the confidence that I had is the confidence in knowing, um, you know, knowing what my customers want. And I have the salon, we have a thousand clients a week that come through, like the Perfector, the tool that I was just talking about. When I brought that to the salon to test, um, I saw so many clients' heads turn from other people's chairs. Sometimes when that stuff happens, that's when I'm, I'm like, now I know I'm on to something because people want to know what it is. And then I literally put it in their hands and I listen to what they say. And if they're just like, like they say it, they're just like, oh, I would never, that's going to get caught. In my. You know, like I hear what they're saying and then I go from there.
1: So you mentioned the perfect, perfector, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Would you take a deep dive into your brand and products for us, please?
2: Sure, 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 sure. So we do have products and tools and it's kind of interesting because I kind of worked backwards. Most product lines or brands build these brands and then they approach QVC, right? So. I had this product and I approached QVC. So it started with the one embellished product that is a product that acts like a tool. And then I expanded that franchise a little bit to a hairspray and a couple other things. Then I went into tools because it was kind of logical. And those tools are at this point, I think, I don't know how many I have, but i have to, but we have a, an array of tools, but none of them cannibalize each other. They only happen when it's like, you know, we really could use something that, perfecter is great, but we need more lift at the root or, you know, the, how about when we're blow drying our hair, you know, so we have something to style dry your hair with something, you know, the perfecter to curl with the, you know, things to straighten and smooth with. Um, And then the products, they really do act like tools, which is really cool. And then finally I, the juice um, line of products, which are pretty new to the line is cleansing condition. And I, I've approached cleansing condition in a way that nobody's been approaching it where we're talking about the scalp. I mean, it's funny that you were saying about your hair, um, but really the care of the scalp, which nobody, you know, shampoo just is cleaning your hair, you know, like and doing things to your hair, the scalp, when we start taking care of that, we're going to see better results long-term. We're going to have longer, thicker, fuller hair long-term. Like, so um, the cleansing, the now the juice line has been another line that's really taken off because it's different different than your other cleansing products. So styling products, tools, uh, cleansing, and they all are problem solving and they all really do value, well You, I have to admit like they do when people use them, like the juice, like it's like juicing for your bodies, juicing for your hair. And when you use it, doesn't smell, doesn't look, doesn't feel like any other shampoo you put on your head. Um, and it's pretty cool when I get the feedback from all the products, actually in the tools.
1: Uh, we'll definitely have to connect after the show so we can talk about what to do for my scalp and hopefully okay. get longer, thicker hair that'll last a little bit longer.
2: There you go. You must juice, I'm telling you. I wouldn't just be saying that.
1: Must juice. That's a good bumper show. Oh,
2: All I juice.
1: So most people are happy working their entire career for someone else. What sets entrepreneurs apart, mm-hmm. giving them that you know, free spirit, if you will, to go out and, and try it on their own?
2: Yeah, I guess, you know, entrepreneurs are... I I guess I can speak for me. I mean, I know the basics of, you know, most how passionate entrepreneurs are and generally what it is, but in speaking for myself, what I did recognize early on was that I thought that there was a better way. It's the same with creating my products. Like I always thought there was a better way. Like when I was a stylist, when I was becoming a stylist, I thought that there was a better way because at the time I didn't think that stylists were very, um, very kind to clients. Like I, I worked in salons and I thought that they were always telling their clients what they should be doing and what didn't look good. You know, like I didn't think that was good. So I did it differently. And, and then I got to a point where I thought the salons weren't really treating the customers the way the customers should be treated. So that's why I wanted to open my own salon, you know, and with the products, I just thought that the products could be better. So I guess it's that passion and then that need to make it better. And you're not making it better for you. You're making it better for others. Which, in return, really does, you know, I, you know, I'm very grateful for the success that my industry's given me. But it's first in service, right? So, I don't know if, did that answer that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and as a follow-up, virtually every entrepreneur comes to a crossroads, you know, called a make-or-break moment. You talked about putting big investments out there,
2: mm-hmm.
1: more, or maybe even more than one make-or-break moment. Did you have that moment or those moments with Calista? And if so, how'd you prevail?
2: very many. of them. I mean, and and very key ones each time. Like I, when I, um, I remember when I decided to open the salon, I was pretty young and I was really challenged by the employees. And I just didn't understand that they didn't have the work ethic that I had or that, you know, they were always treating the clients, you know, and sometimes they're very hard on me. And I remember one time where an employee kept me there very late that night. It was just like, I left thinking, this is it. I'm done. Like, that's it. Like, I was going to call my partner in the morning and just be like, I just want to be a stylist again. This is, you know, and somehow, some way I really did prey on it that night. When I woke up, I had this refreshment of like, who's she to tell me what my life's going to be like? Like, for some reason, that's what I had was like, F her for lack of better, you know, in my mind was just like, what are you doing? You're literally going to allow that. She was younger than me. I was like, you're going to allow that person to decide your fate. And so at QVC, that's happened a lot of times too, where, you know, sometimes you don't have such great shows and everybody knows about it when you're in the building. And like, you know, and then you feel embarrassed. And then it's kind of like, it's easier to, I just kind of want to quit. You know, like, I don't want to be drugged through the mud. You know, it's embarrassing. It's depleting. And then again, I would pray on it. And the next morning, you wake up with like, it's almost like you get a new idea. Like it would be a new idea. Like, you know what, maybe you can just approach that differently. And then you're, it'll be better. Like, and then I do it. And that's what happens. So um, I definitely, I I can vision me walking out of queue a couple of times again, thinking about how I was going to tell, call my partner and tell them that I'm done, (laughs) you know, and then waking up the next morning with a whole new, and even like, you know, my partner, I have, two business partners in my one for over 30 years now. And there were times where I was, you know, went to thinking like, we I got to call and we can't be partners anymore. This is crazy, you know, and praying on it, and waking up and having a better idea. And, and that could be true in any relationship, right? Your marriage, you know, like um, where you feel like, wow, this isn't working out, but then, you know, maybe be guided by a better light and then, you know, turning that around.
1: You mentioned earlier how you landed your spot at QVC. And just now you talked about, you know, maybe not having a good show every so often. How'd your first appearance go? (laughs) How'd you prepare? What was going through your head? All that good stuff.
2: Oh my God. I was so lucky because my clients were hosts. So the same one that told me to bring the product told me I could come to her house. She was a friend of mine. She was like, you're going to come to the house. We're going to set the timer on the microwave for seven minutes. That's how long you have to sell the product for seven, for seven minutes, and we're gonna do this and I was so lucky because she that was that kind of got my you know some of the butterflies out you know some of the anxiety or nervousness um so my first airing went phenomenally we sold out, which is something you would always want um is a sell out you always want to sell out so um it was it was great it was rewarding it was shocking it was fast it was I mean, I can't even begin to say the emotions and the feelings, and but for sure, I was grateful we sold out. (laughs) That was it. That was like, okay, I can do this. Now that was followed up by a lot of non-sellouts and a lot of bad sells and a lot, you know. But at least I had that one to hold on to always and be like, hey, you can do this. You know, like you did it before, and you just, um, you just have to be authentic. That seems what worked. I do remember I had to tell you on that cell Because when you first start out, you got to explain, you know, that customer needs to hear what that product did, what's going to do for them. Like there's a lot you got to do in like 60 seconds. And that's very nerve wracking to me to this day. And then I get to do hair and everything's good. So I always know if I can get through the first minute of my cell and start doing hair, I'll be fine. So it's pretty much how I still approach it to this day.
1: And what has Callista's relationship with the QVC channel meant to your business over the years?
2: Mm. Wow. Well, I mean, and when it comes to the brand, like I said, most people have a brand and they go to QVC because they want to be on. And so, um, I mean, I'm not going to say QVC held my hand because they didn't, um, you know, but they did assist me in building the brand 100%. I mean, you got to, you know, I say that to my kids, my kids, you know, that are in college, you know, and they you know, they, they worked really hard and got themselves into really good places, but then, and that college is going to help them, right? It's going to help them, but who has to do all the work, right? So QVC is a great partner. And if you, I spent a lot of time learning their business so I could make my business successful. So, you know, that's one thing about Q for sure. Like, you know, you, you have to study their business and then fit your business into it, if, if it's a fit, and then let it grow.
1: We've been talking to Maria McCool. I'll be right back after a short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline.
0: Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The White House doctor makes house calls. We hear, just be you, a lot these days. But who are you? What is an authentic life? The answer to these questions and more will be answered on the Authentic Living Show, hosted by Andrea Matthews. Andrea will
2: interview some of today's
0: spiritual, psychological experts and will provide her own wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your I am. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time,
2: 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
0: to Next Steps Forward. To reach Chris Meek or his guest on the show today, please call in to one 346 9141 That's one 346 9141 Or send an email to chris at nextstepsforward.com. Now, back to this week's show.
1: And We are back with Maria McCool founder of Clista Tools and author of Becoming Beauty Brave, the bold makeover that will change your life. Maria, your book was published in May last year, just as the country was virtually completely locked down due to the COVID-19 pandemic. You're more than busy enough leading a company and a successful brand. What inspired you to write a book?
2: <laughs> well, uh, the book has always been on my bucket list. I always have wanted to do that. I wanted to, you know, I know that we've over the years, I've done a lot to help a lot of women, and, and I, at some point, wanted to kind of put that in a nice little short read. And interestingly enough, I mean, obviously, I didn't know the pandemic was coming, but um, I just, um, that same attitude that I have where I just am like, let's go for it. I uh, We usually travel around holiday, and that year we weren't going to, and I was like, you know what, I'll have plenty of time. I'll just do that now. It was a serendipity thing too, because where my son goes to school, um, I went down to visit him in Georgetown and he, um, this publishing company was right next door to the hotel I was staying in. So it was kind of like one of those things where I'm like, wait, I guess it's supposed to be. So let's just do it. So I did it.
1: You know, the show and was I'm going,
2: because I'm definitely not an author, but I made it happen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the show was going great until you mentioned Georgetown. Uh, as my listeners and viewers know, I'm, I'm a beloved uh, Syracuse Orange alum and so, You're one of our rivals, but uh, you're still a nice person. I I don't know your son, but it's okay. It's all good. We'll wait for the basketball season.
0: I'm just kidding.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I have a buddy of mine who went there and I was like, what's a Hoya Saxon? He never sends me a Wikipedia. I'm like, "This doesn't mean anything to me. So anyway, we we digress here. Okay. (laughs) So I know this answer is different in different countries and certainly different cultures, but generally speaking, is there an accepted idea of beauty in our culture and country?
2: Mm. I mean, I've been doing this a long time and uh, so I've been able to see the changes over time. And yeah, I mean, there definitely is, Um, you know, it it actually makes me sad um, to think that. Um, And I think what I've learned, even though there's these set standards and, you know, people think that there's set standards, but in my, in my experience, the women that, you know, that were confident were beautiful. Um, Women that um, like kind of celebrated their own unique beauty were always so striking. Um, And, you know, I, I think really it does go back to that. Like, even though we could, I mean, I've been doing this so long, so blonde hair's in, blonde hair's out, you know, and we can always look at, you know, we're not tall enough. We're not, thin enough we're not you know whatever we have brown eyes blue eyes um and it kind of really doesn't mean anything um so I think in what you're and, and millions times a day we're in, in you know we just are inundated with this information of what beauty may be if you let it be that way so um you know of course I could say yes to that question because it, it, sadly it's true but it's more that you're buying into that so I, I, I learned really young in my twenties, I used to have a couple of clients, one client she just was like, she, I mean, by the standards of what we're talking about, she was definitely not the most attractive woman by the standards of, you know, what we were seeing. She clearly was the most beautiful person that came in our salon, right? Like she just, people would stop when she came in, you know, because she was so confident and striking and. Um, and the real truth is, is that she was so kind and loving and caring that like, it just made her beautiful. Like it, it wouldn't, nothing mattered. And so, um, yeah, I don't know if I digress too on that topic, but, you know, I don't like that topic that we, we buy into, like, you have to be a certain way to be beautiful. I mean, I mean, you won't know this from the, probably from this broadcast, but you know, I'm not even five foot tall. and.
1: You know, a very good stool. <laughs> yeah,
2: right. And, you know, that was like a lesson. And my, my mom always had this, you know, thing that great things come in small packages. And like, let's say it all the time, you know, like, so for some reason I bought into it. And I never, until I went on QVC, I didn't even know I was short. It wasn't until I saw myself 3D next to all the, you know, five foot 10 hosts. I was like, darn, I'm really not very tall. But like, up until that point, I didn't even know. So I don't let's, know. Go,
1: let's go a okay. little deeper into that beauty question in your book. You refer to true beauty heroes.
2: Mm.
1: What is a true beauty hero? Who are a few of them that you admire and what is it about them that puts them in that category?
2: So I'd have to say the true beauty heroes to me. One, number one is, um, my clients that go through cancer and lose their hair. Um, I'm actually working on a, I'm using one of them as a, like, kind of a doc. We're just tracking it, like, as a documentary. I'm doing her hair. She's probably about 10 months out right now, maybe a little longer. But I think they're true beauty heroes. There's no time like that where you look, so A lot of people are wrapped up. Their identity could be in, you know, whatever, their hair or their sports or their eyes or their, you know, whatever. Um, and at that point, that gets taken away. And I definitely call them true heroes because they have to face it and they have to come up with what, why are they beautiful? Like, why are they, because it's not that. Um, And if they believe it's only that it's, it's a miserable two, three, five years by the time they get their hair back. So I would say they're the unsung heroes. That's my number one.
1: No, that's a good one. That's Mm -hmm. one of uh, lost a parent to cancer you know my mother certainly understand that so I appreciate you raising that point mm-hmm. you also raised the point that it takes courage to change your look mm. why do most people tend to stick with the same look is it the effort that it requires uncertainty of what's next calling attention to ourselves combination of all those yeah,
2: definitely all of the above um, and again like it is kind of cool I was just thinking that I- I just visited my 99 year old. He just turned 99. My uncle has so much wise information and I'm just relating because I'm thinking I've been doing this so long that all of those things that you said for sure, all of them, because um, I used to think when I was younger, when I was trying to change a woman's look, I could always tell when she was really popular in high school because she wouldn't let it go. Like, she wouldn't let that look go, right? Like it worked for her, like she was hanging on to it. Um, and now I think it's more things, you know? I think it's, it's uncertainty. I think it's fear. Um, I think it's um, um, lack of confidence, unfortunately. And, and it's, a, it's a level of how much you allow other people to determine what you are and aren't gonna do in your life. Um, But I think when it comes to it, I don't ever expect people to make big changes. You make one little change. You change the color of your lipstick and go out in public, you know? Um, It's just the one little step of becoming Beauty Brave to me.
1: You've said it took a lot of yourself to become Beauty Brave. Mm -hmm. How so?
2: Yeah, well, and I'm still not all the way there. Let's just be honest and frank about that. (laughs) Um, I think that it's generational a little bit. Like I'm happy to say that my daughter is 100% more confident than I am. And I'm glad to hear that. And I'm sure I'm more confident than my mom. Um, but I think we, you know, have different conditionings, things that were told to us when we are younger that stick in our head. And um, they, as much as you work on them, they still kind of, you know, that's why you have coaches, right? Kind of rear their ugly head. Um But yeah, it was hard. I mean, it was hard for a lot of things. I mean, not just my own confidence, but being in an industry that was um, male dominated when it came to anybody that was anybody in the industry. I mean, there's a lot of hairstylists and a lot of them are women, but like anybody that, you know, was known in our industry was male. I told you earlier that I was one of the reasons why QBC took me is because that particular buyer said that there were no female stylists on QVC and it was a shame. And I thought, yeah, that's really a shame. Like, um, so yeah, I think we get held back for our own reasons and I think it's important to keep working on that. And that's why, you know, one step, right. One step. Just sometimes just do one step. It does change your life. I gotta tell you one thing when I could, when you get a haircut, like that's a changed haircut, it definitely changes your life. Coco Chanel actually said that. Change a woman's hair and it'll change her life. So and,
1: let's sure. expand upon that for a minute. Yeah. How does that change a person, you know, mentally, emotionally, professionally? Yeah. You know, when they take such a step like that. And you said just doing small changes.
2: Yeah. I think it's because, well, obviously you can get confidence and sometimes that's from other people. So you change your look and then people are like, Oh my God, you look amazing. You look younger, you look, you know, and so you start having this, you know, you're getting a little puffed up. Right. Um, But I think that it's a sense of achievement possibly because you believed something could be good and then you go for it. And then it was, you know, like, so it's a little bit of a sense of achievement um I mean I know for me when I do people's hair like because I have trained in it my whole life like I know I, it's like it's it's artistry right so I know I can do certain things when somebody talks to me about like you know what they like or what they would like or whatever and then you kind of can bring that to life I mean that's where the whole beauty brave came from when I do somebody's hair and then they look in the mirror and they this is true it happens all the time where they were like, they'll say, literally say, so I was going to go home, but there's no way I'm wasting this. Like, I got to find somewhere to go. I don't even care if it's the grocery store, like, I'm going to get seen. (laughs) And I call it beauty brave because it's like they have this new bravery, like they got to be seen. Um, um, So why it exactly happens, I probably have to study up on that a little bit more, because I think there's probably more to it than I'm even hitting upon. But I definitely think it has something to do with being proud, having pride, right? So having pride in, in yourself. Because, you know, when somebody tells you they're so proud of you, when your parents say that, like, so proud of you, that's big, right? We know that that's big. So when you do something and now you have a, more pride in the way you look or feel.
1: You mentioned now the client, you know, they just had their makeover and they've got to be seen you know, in your book, you wrote how important it is for someone to celebrate themselves after their new beauty bravery. You just talked about the pride aspect of it. You know, why is that part of the process so important?
2: Yeah, because, you know, the, the true sense of celebration is generally because you are um, acknowledging an achievement, right? So um, I think it's so important to celebrate yourself to acknowledge your achievements. You know, um, I think that that is what carries you on one it, it bolsters you to do, to do the next thing. Um, um, And I think that celebration brings the spark and the fun and the, you know, that stuff's important, you know, like um, that's the stuff we remember. So when you're celebrating somebody's wedding or somebody's baby or somebody, you know, like they're the things you remember. So when you take the time to celebrate yourself, like when you look back on your life, like when I was with my 99-year-old uncle, you know, when you look back on your life, the things that you celebrate are the stories you're telling about. So I feel like the more we celebrate ourselves, the more that it's our story, it's our legacy, it's our, it's what made us us.
1: We all know the expression, beauty is the eye of the beholder. Mm. What we've seen in recent years is that social media often creates a very harsh, an unattainable definition of beauty. Hmm. How do we make sure that we are our own beholder? And as the parent of two daughters, more importantly, how do we make sure that girls and young women have more confidence in their own appearance so they see themselves as beautiful?
2: Yeah. You know, this is, if this, this is probably my mission on this earth. Um, One compliment your daughters. I mean, compliment your sons too. I mean, I compliment my daughter and my sons, but be sure to be complimenting your daughters. Be sure to be, you know, there's amazing things about them. Their beautiful eyes their amazing hair their, you know, whatever it is, constantly compliment that them on the, those things and let them remember those beautiful things. And be sure that, you know, we are going to have things that we don't like about ourselves or, or wish maybe we could do differently or whatever, but um, you know, that is one thing I compliment. I, I have this habit of, like when I see people now, because I've been doing it for so long, the first thing I see is something I want to compliment. I, I find myself as soon as I see somebody like, Oh my God, I love your blah, blah, blah. Um, so that's one thing I would say is definitely compliment. Like I was saying, my mom would say great come in small packages. Like, um, um, and, you know, I, I just have seen so much, unfortunately, Chris behind the chair where, A woman will bring her daughter in for, you know, her hair, and be like, you know, okay, so she has this really crappy thin hair, and blah blah, blah, like, like, don't do that. You know what I mean? Like, just it's not even. It's really it's because you probably don't like your. You know what I mean? You're usually projecting. Um, So yeah, I think that's number one. Your commitment
1: to helping people. I'm sorry.
2: I was just going to say it's important and we need to empower our young ladies. Yeah,
1: No question. And mm-hmm. that's a big part of the show and why you're here. So I appreciate you getting that message out.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Your commitment to helping people become beauty brave doesn't stop with your book. Mm-hmm. You, you and your Calista team launched shine at Penn medicine. That's a fundraiser for patients undergoing treatment at the Abramson cancer center at Chester County hospital. Would you share that story with us, please?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, going years back, um, you know, cause we've been doing that. we we'll, we're coming up on 25 years. We just had the event the other week that was very successful last weekend. Um, You know, we're going back that far. I just was having this real rise in my own clients going through or having breast cancer, right? Losing their hair and the options were not good. And, you know, talk about helping women be beauty brave and doing that to these women and then see this huge decline during this roughest time of their life. I get kind of emotional because so many clients um, who battle, some win, some don't. And um, so we had decided to do a fund. And one of the girls that works with me, who's a good friend, and we've been friends since high school, and she's, she's a stylist, had just lost, her mother lost her battle. And um, she couldn't say enough about the Cancer Center and Penn medicine. And we decided to do a fundraiser that would start to help support these women more during this time, help them get the right wigs, cut their wigs, uh, get them support. Now shine. We, we have drivers for them. We have nurse navigators, you know, the wig program, but all these things that help them because not, you know, you said you, you know, maybe had experienced it with your mom. There's not, there's not a lot of resources and we're just, all about continuing raising those resources and what we can do and help them feel good during a really, really rough patch.
1: Well, we've been talking about your book for a while. Where can folks buy a copy of Becoming Beauty Brave, the bold makeover that will change your life? And what should they do if they'd like you to speak or make an appearance on the topic of Becoming Beauty Brave?
2: <laughs> I'm going to pitch it, right? No. Um, so you can find it at Barnes and Noble. You can find it at Amazon soon. It's going to be on ClosedToTools.com. Um you can reach out to us on our website at closetools.com to to um, connect with me. We're always there also on our face. I'm always on my Facebook page. So you can always DM us on social, obviously. Um, and I would love to talk about beauty really It's my favorite thing to talk about, obviously. Um,
1: Folks can reach out to us here at the show as well. So thank you for that. Cool. You've told me that the pandemic changed the way you do business, especially as it relates to travel, even local travel and travel to QVC. Mm-hmm. What are the pros and cons of that change to your professional and personal lives?
2: Hmm. Yeah, so I mean, definitely pros and cons. If you've noticed, I'm a person that looks at pros way more than I look at cons. Um, pros, we're just going with it, right? We're just, we're just, you know, it was. I found it to be a kind of exhilarating when we shut down our salon we got right in there and we were changing things up and we were listening to all the things that we were going to have to do when we opened and cleaning things up and, you know, making a best experience in that case scenario, Um, you know, definitely changed travel, changed our customers' habits of coming in to see us. Um, It both, you know, the, the, the product line got a kind of boost because everybody was doing their hair on their own. So, you know, we leaned into that obviously at that time, help our clients that way. A lot of new products came out of it because there was a lot of women with gray roots and a lot of things that were happening and gave birth to some new products. Um, but yeah, I definitely think COVID's changed our world. I, I, I see as far as a business owner, things changing dramatically and I'm okay with it. Like I'm okay with it. Um, I don't, I don't have that. Oh my God, it'll never be what it was or anything like that. It's just going to be something new and we get to change and and do it. Um, But I will say as far as our beauty goes, um, you know, I noticed that people are becoming a little more accepting than they were of themselves, of their own natural beauty, going with things a little bit. I love that it stretched the industry in a way that was like, yeah, so everybody doesn't have to be this. I can be this. I can, I can have silver hair now. I can have shorter hair. I can let my hair grow out. Like, I love that it stretched that. It's probably my favorite part.
1: I had a few colleagues who I hadn't seen for a few months when all this started and all of a sudden run a Zoom call for the first time. And there were a lot of mustache and beard growing competitions uh, early on in COVID. So I, I certainly understand that.
2: Right. I, like it. I like it. It was I interesting. Like it. I happen to be somebody who likes change, which is very abnormal, but I like it.
1: So COVID-19, the gift that keeps on giving – has certainly created a large amount of uncertainty and a fair amount of adversity. Hmm. What did you learn about leading through adversity or maybe what leadership lessons did you bring back that you already knew because of the pandemic?
2: Yeah. Um, I think it was a good sharpening tool for communication and connection because I think, you know, you can say you're a good leader and you can, you know, just keep doing what you always did and business kind of staying the way it's staying, you know, or whatever. But all of a sudden it was like, yeah, how do you connect now? How are you communicating now? You know, and like, you know, obviously, like you said, Zoom, there are people in my industry, we're not really very tech savvy, right? Because we work with people and our hands and all that stuff. So that was kind of fun getting everybody on a Zoom call. <laughs> Just that alone was like a big deal. Um, but I think it raised the level of communication and connection. In a time where, right, it was very hard to connect. Um, but it showed us the importance of it. And creativity is the other third thing, I think. So that happens to be three C's, right? That's interesting. Communication, uh, connection, and creativity. Because you had to be creative to do those things um, in a different way. And it's be successful for us. And, and you know what? what I love, the part that we were talking about the other day that I love is that people are more accepting. Like, like, because I'm all over the place now, I can quickly get on a, on a Zoom call or FaceTime with an employee and work through something in 10 minutes. We don't have to set up time, set up a meeting, set up, you know, and like, and they're accepting of that. They don't need to, we don't need to see each other face to face all the time, you know? So um, I love that actually. Getting a lot more done, aren't you? With all your yes, <laughs>
1: absolutely. Three and a half hours a day. I'm not commuting to and from New York City is is a game changer. And I can have a podcast now. Look at this.
2: I love it too. I love podcasts, and I love yours. So oh,
1: thank you, thank you. Yeah. Uh, that's a selfless plug for me, so I appreciate that. It's good for the sponsors. So we've talked about other things you do. You take on a lot. Calista Tools, QVC, your philanthropic work. How do you stay on top of it all? And what's your wellness routine?
2: So that's very important. Very, very important. So my wellness routine is yoga followed by meditation every morning, even if it's only for minutes, right? Like it doesn't matter. You always have, like i love to do 30 is my go-to, but if I only have 10, that's fine. Right. And eating healthy. And then I think the biggest thing is sleep. And I sleep like it's my job. I'm like a pro. Sleeper.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I need to learn that skill.
2: I got a lot of people, right? That's a hard one, but yeah, sleep.
1: So lastly here, just a few minutes left. What parting advice do you have for audience to feel more empowered, lead through adversity and achieve their goals?
2: Um, would it be too cliche to say, go for it. Don't be afraid. Not at all. Um, you know, have a mantra. I just watched Luca, the Disney Luca, and it was Silencia Bruno where he would tell his, that you know, sucks to be quiet. Stop telling him that, those things. So get your own mantra. And my mantra is um, everything's always working out for me. I probably say that at minimum 30 times a day when things aren't going right.
1: <laughs> love it. I love it. Maria McCool has been our guest today. Her book is Becoming Beauty Brave. It's available on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and other booksellers. Be sure to buy for yourself or a friend. Thanks for being here, Maria.
2: Chris, thanks so much. I really appreciate your time.
1: No, I appreciate yours. And as always, thank you to our wonderful audience for tuning in The Next Steps Forward. I'm Chris Meek. For more details about upcoming shows and guests, please follow me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash ChrisMeekPublicFigure and on Twitter at ChrisMeek underscore USA. We'll be back next Tuesday, same time, same place with another leader from the world of business, politics, public policy, sports, or entertainment. Until then, stay safe and keep taking your next steps forward